So what's up? This is the first urift.com podcast. I'm Jason Louv, uh, and uh, we're going to be talking about Oculus Rift, virtual reality, augmented reality, and everything that's coming down the pipeline in the next year. I'm sitting here with Noah Nelson, who has been, uh, who is a journalist who's been reporting about the Oculus and VR in general for about two years for NPR and Turnstile News. Uh, does that sound about right? That's, uh, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's about, been about two years. So basically this is your beat and you've become an expert in this field and, uh, I know nothing. I have literally, I started this blog uh, a week ago. I've been aware kind of on the sidelines of Oculus. I mean, I've been hearing about it for two years, but I haven't actively been following it. And a week ago, I just suddenly, you know, I got the proverbial diamond bullet to the forehead where I suddenly realized it's just like it almost became the most pressing thing in my mind. It's like, mm. oh, it's it's steam engine time. You yeah. have to be focused on this um, because this is going to change everything. And and it was very strange. I think four or five people all I mean, people have been telling me about this, but in the space of a few days, about four or five people just started talking about Oculus and that I should get involved with it. And I was just like, OK. So I started uh, Rift. We're, we're approaching a critical mass with it, yeah. It appears to be because I, I don't I don't generally tend to get sucked into things until they start to hit that critical mass point. So I'm very excited about this. I feel, um, I mean, I'm all of a sudden as excited about this or as excited about the internet as I was in like the Monda 2000 days, like pre dot com crash one, and that may be. Well, it's because we were talking about virtual reality then too, right? You know, like, right, right, right. And that was always the dream. I mean, you know, when we were growing up, the virtual, you know, the internet was going to lead to to virtual reality, and now it's here. Reality. Now it's finally here. But you're yeah, you're the expert on this, so so right, well, for for this podcast, I really wanted to get a basic overview of what this thing is and and where you see it going. Absolutely. I mean, I'd also I'd be. I, I worry about uh, saying expert because right now the guys who are really experts in this are the guys who are building it. You know, your Palmer Luckies, your John Carmacks, uh, the guys who are working on the Sunny Morpheus project, right? I mean, this stuff is just coming out of the lab. And so the people who are who are most aware of what's going on are the people who are, are making it. Um, that's one of the exciting things about it right now is it's at that stage of technology where everything's still being fashioned even as we speak. Um, there's a lot of people who follow this stuff really closely, you know, uh, for the love of God, like the Reddit boards about VR are some of the hub of the community. Some of the people, you know, Palmer Lucky is on there all the time. The people, right? Are, and Palmer Lucky is the the head of Oculus VR, yeah. which is the company that's making the Oculus Rift, which is the, I guess it's it's the the most uh, viable VR device, right? Well, and and what st- what sparked this explosion was uh, about two years ago. Um, Palmer Lucky, who was, he was a kid. Um, he was at USC in their MX lab, uh, working for a woman named Nani de la Pena. Um, and oh, he, he worked for, for oh, he her? He worked for Nani, yeah. He, Th- he, that's very funny. I, I actually worked on editing some of her stuff uh, when I worked at Disinformation, the publishing company in New York, when she did a film called Unconstitutional it's, that I worked it's on. It's all connected. It's all kind of it's very strange. Very strange how um, the, the circles we move in. Yeah. Well. Well. Nani. Nani's still at the the MX lab, and, and she's doing immersive journalism VR. She's doing immersive journalism VR, and what she what she had, had built was uh, pre Oculus uh, Palmer, who was 
he, he, you know, he's a kid. I think he was like 18, 19 at the time when he was working the lab. He's from Long Beach, um, super obsessed with virtual reality systems, had like this amazing collection of like every VR system like ever built was like his goal. And he kept on wanting to like have better experiences. And in time he would become the one to like make the better experience as, as the legend goes, he was, he was working in the MX lab. Um, if I'm correctly, he was a journalism major, right? That's you, you, wow. Yeah. And you journalism is dead. Um, that's, that's me trying to remember something like I've read like four or five times. So I'm, I could be, but he, he's on, he's an engineer as well. Yeah. Right? He's, he's engin- yeah. Well, and like, almost like self-taught engineer. Right. Okay. So like he's coming at from a, a sort of a content point of view. And so he built for Nani, uh, the, the, the lenses that they use to create this experience called hunger in Los Angeles. And then they showed that off at Sundance a few years ago, uh, as part of the new frontier Sundance, of course, is the the big film festival, but they have this little tiny section of it where they show off like experimental, you know, media stuff. And it just blew up from there. And well, from there, cause he had like a working prototype and, and knew what was going on. He then, you know, kind of started to double down and after that experience went to uh crowdfunding and they they if i remember correctly there was like a, an order of battle where before they went and crowdfunded he wound up getting connected with john carmack who was the guy who coded doom back right in the right day, right you know um the one of the savants of computer engineering I mean, from what i've read about him people really consider him one of the best coders in the world oh Is easily that- yeah. I mean, this guy does rocket science as a hobby. Is that, liter- is that L- literally, literally true? Literally true. <laughs> literally true. Rocket science is a hobby of his. That's awesome. Um, so, so yeah, Carmack, Carmack and Lucky, you know, they, they meet up online. This, this has repercussions later, but um, essentially around E3, uh, three years ago, not the 33 three's ago, right? So, uh, three E threes ago, uh, they, um, yeah, sorry. I was sitting there goes like, we, you know, E threes, if you've been to them, they all start to blur together. And that, that's the big elect, uh, electronic Inter- convention. Yeah. Electronic yeah. entertainment expo. It's okay. in Los San. It's here in Los Angeles where we're recording this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a big video game trade show where the most interesting stuff happens behind closed doors. And what was happening that year behind closed doors was John Carmack was showing off a prototype, an early, early prototype of what would become the Oculus Rift to people in the games industry. And they got excited. And out of that buzz, they went and did a Kickstarter. So the story sort of began at that E3 behind closed doors. People say, oh my, there's this thing and, and they, 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 there was this demo and it was amazing, right? That's how the word started to spread. And then they went to Kickstarter right. and they went with a model that was, we're going to let people buy the development kits, an early version of this, and start working on that. And the development kit is basically, it's just a, literally a pair of goggles that strap to your face and put you in a virtual world. It is, is that is that that's right? It is even a, even the first one. It is a, a, yeah, exactly. It, the the development kit one DK one mm-hmm. uh, is a pair of of sort of chunky goggles that looks something like a ski mask or a diving mask. I like to think of it as a diving okay. mask. And there's no sound, right? It's just the visual, and there's there's other peripherals peripherals for it, but it's basically the Oculus itself is it's, just the vision. It's it it's is, like a pair of night vision goggles. It's it's even similar to that there is a screen in there and there are two lenses and the lenses are curved and that's what creates the field of vision 
effect okay. that are going on. So when you so, when you look into it, it's like, oh, here's some some weird little goggles, and then this screen is just you know sitting like about two inches from your face, and that's where the magic comes from. And it's also three D. Right. Oh yeah, and, yeah. and what it is is like it's one screen is is sending two different images to your eyes, and depending on the game, and it's usually games right now, but depending depending on the simulation that's set up, um, it is it can be more or less convincing. Uh, you can wind up not getting distracted. Space stuff works really great because the outer edges of the screen is black and the outer edges of the lens cups are black. So if you're playing a simulation that involves you, you know, in space, well, space is black. So it's a little more convincing. When you play other simulations, sometimes you see the edges a little easier right, and, right, and there's, right. and you know, if you have a rift, you sort of get it to the way you like to wear it. Uh, but when you're at a demo event where most people get to play with these things, uh, you're usually quickly adjusting it from the last person. So okay. it's, it's rarely a perfect experience. So we're kind of in an interesting situation here because you've actually used one of these things and I have not, I've yeah. used Google cardboard, which is Google's <laughs> kind of like cheap, like ghetto version of the Oculus Rift, but and I have um, not done that. Okay, so but you, you've actually used this. So so my oh, question nice. is, okay, great. So my question is, do you? I, well, the first question is, do you actually feel like you're in another world? Does it actually feel fully immersive, or do you feel like you're just staring into a video game box strapped to your face? It entirely depends upon the simulation. So the first thing that I ever did was um, at the time it was called uh, it was called Eve VR. And it was set in the EVE Online universe. And it is, it is now being marketed under the name Project Valkyrie. Or no, EVE Valkyrie. That's the name that it's being marketed under. And it is a space dogfighting simulator. Which if you've grown up watching Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica and playing Wing Commander is essentially the thing you've always ever wanted. So in, in a booth upstairs at E3 two years ago now, this is the second year of Oculus existing uh, at all. Uh, I was in the the booth of the people who make Eve and they were showing this thing off. And what happened was is I, I walk in, they say, oh yeah, go ahead, sit down. They handed me a pair of goggles. I put them on my face. They handed me uh, a set of headphones. I put those over my ears and then they stuck an Xbox 360 controller into my hand. And I'm lucky in that I play enough video games that like... N- Having a 360 controller in my hand and not be able to look at it is not a problem. When I opened my eyes, I was in a Starfighter cop cockpit. It was like I was in a Viper. And I looked down and I saw a digital recreation of like a body, like Apollo or Starbucks body, right? Like classic Battlestar Galactica. Not wow, that's, it seems like that would be a very strange sensation to see a, a virtual body of yourself. It, it's It's... It's a little weird in that, you know, was things, that disorienting? It, it wasn't disorienting. Um, and that was the weird, one of the weirder parts is that it wasn't disoriented. I think what was, what was disorienting a bit was that you, you could lean forward a little bit and you'd get like a little bit of tracking. But then if you lean forward a little more, the image just kept moving, right? Like, like it stayed static. So you were really quickly aware. And then like I lifted my hand up and everybody does this the first time they're, they're in the rift. They say, I lifted my hand up and waved it in front of my face. But of course, there's nothing tracking my hand. So nothing happens. My virtual body doesn't move. 
And so that was like, okay, that's, that's so bizarre because that's always the first thing they tell you to do in a lucid dream. When you're lucid dreaming, you're supposed to look at your hands to make to to remind yourself that you're dreaming. Yeah. It's so so that's so strange that that's your first impulse to do that when you're when you're in virtual reality. Yeah. No, it's very. It, very it seems uh, how very analogous. Oh yeah, but but the kicker was when I turned around and I looked behind me and I could see the headrest where my virtual head. Oh, uh, the headrest of the cockpit of the in cockpit. the ship. Yeah. Wow. Okay. When I became aware that I was. That's, that's intense. Yeah. I was immersed. Like anywhere I looked. Did you start to lose a sense of your body in the real world? No. And I think part of that was because in the fiction of this game, I was seated down in a cockpit and I had the virtual body. Right. So like I was in context. Virtually. Right. And did oh. you have sound or were oh, you yeah. just hearing? You had, some, oh, you had headphones the on. The best okay. part was the sound because okay. the best part of that simulation was you could hear the. <sighs> not a Darth Vader one, but like there was there was the like oxygen the of the ship breathing. Yeah, there was the humming okay. of the ship and like the breathing of the pilot as if you were in a helmet. Right. What you would hear because you're not hearing your own breathing because you've got the headphones on. Uh, the sound is incredibly important. And. That's not the only time I've been in, in, in like one of these cockpit style or like, you know, encased in a diving bell type virtual reality scenarios. And, and those are those are very comfortable because you are not being because you, you then you have the whatever motion happens is happening past the window. So it's not your body moving through space. It's the vehicle that your body is in moving through space. And that's just enough of a. Um, of, of a distancing effect between you and the motion of VR that every time I've done one of those, um, I've had absolutely no, I don't take it motion sick anyway, but like I've, the, the first time I did it, it's not like I came out going like, Oh, I'm too spinny because everything that was going on, I was like, Oh, well, you know, like the ship's spinning around. I was in the cockpit, you know, like the cockpit never spun around me. The things outside the cockpit, spun around and so that wow. became very easy to accept so this is really intense so basically so now we have this device that uh, uh officially for the first time will put people in virtual reality and right now the people who seem to be aware of it are um you know designers coders engineers and then kind of like artists hippies trippers a little bit um so it's still um it's yet to break into uh mass awareness and it's predicted that in that's probably within about a year this is going to hit the culture and uh just looking at this from a non-technical perspective uh knowing very little about it it's just so obvious to me that this is going to shake everything up you know every single industry um uh uh every form of entertainment and people's perception of of uh, reality itself probably just because it's going to make so many um new uh, human experience is possible. It's going to make it possible to have, uh, you know, very much like strange days. If you ever saw that movie, you'll be able to have experiences of, uh, other human beings. Um, and so this is, this is shocking to me. Uh, right. I'm definitely a, a big booster of this stuff. I think it's uh, that experience I had being in that cockpit was basically fulfilling a childhood fantasy right. of being an X-Wing fighter pilot. Right. Um, and, and that's just one. I mean, like yeah. literally, and it's just occurred to me that literally any desired experience that any human being on this planet has 
couldn't, in theory, be created in virtual reality for them. More or less. I mean, I flew two weekends ago in VR, like the way Superman would fly. Um, and I, I used a lightsaber the way other people were going two-handed, with one in each hand, but I went full Jedi. I went you know, one-handed. Um, and I was blocking shots from the little, little drone that shoots at you just like Luke does in star Wars. So these, these fantasies I've had since I was a kid keep getting fulfilled. And even though this material isn't photorealistic yet, yet there is a fascinating thing about being in the VR where you can start to lose yourself a bit Granted, we're talking about, you know, short periods of time. One of the more moving ones I've done is there's this one that's just, it's just a tour of the solar system. And it just kind of, in a static fashion, moves you from planet to planet and lets you look relatively close up at the planets and, like, shows you a little screen that's got some information on the planet. Not even all that much information, like, like an iPhone screen, if that's worth information. But you're moving around the solar system right. <laughs> and you're right up in front of the sun and everywhere you look is the surface of the sun. And it's, you know, it's an Xbox generation one, not Xbox one, but an Xbox generation one, like level of graphic fidelity, maybe. Right. But you're still looking at the sun because if you've got that little spark of imagination that lets you get into a virtual setup, it's, it's, it's incredible. Mm. I think that there's going to be people for whom this, this doesn't float their boat. Okay. Um, there's some people I know some, some of that, some of that's because on the interactive stuff, they're not comfortable with the control scheme. So do you think that those are, um, so right, well, just to back up a bit, I mean, right now, so they, they got the, the first developer kit out. Mm -hmm. They're now shipping the second developer kit or the DK2, That's right. which is, I guess, available for about $350. Anyone can get one. Uh, they're shipping the next round in a couple months. I'm waiting. I'm getting mine in October. So, and that... Um, I'll be spending a lot of time in your house in October. Uh. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, so it's it's the 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 wild west is already open on this thing, and the people haven't developed a whole lot of stuff, but they've started to develop some very very creative things. Um, for instance, I saw, um, you know, I saw somebody made an alien abduction simulator. Mm -hmm. Somebody made uh, there was a very touching video of a, uh, a grandmother, a ninety year old grandmother who couldn't walk anymore, uh, get be able to walk around outside in sunlight in virtual reality. Um, probably in the Tuscan, uh, setting, the, yeah. the Tusk. Oh, there, yeah. There, yeah, there was a Tuscany app that was yeah. put out. Um, yeah. right. Okay. So that makes sense. Um, so yeah, you, it gets to walk around in Tuscany, you know, it's like that, that's pretty amazing. Um, I've seen people, um, swap, uh, experiences in, in, mm -hmm. in Oculus Rift where they're, they're each wearing a Rift and seeing what the other person is seeing. And they've done this with gender. So it's like a man, they, they, they've, oh. they've strapped it up so that, uh, oh, there's a man wearing one and there's a woman wearing one and both of the riffs have a camera on, on the front because the developer community, the people that are buying this for the most part tend to be either computer programmers or artists and they want to know what they can do with it. And so they're playing right. around and they're creating really incredible stuff. I mean, uh, there, there was a guy 
there's a guy named Aaron Rasmussen and, and he lives in Los Feliz and I went to his, uh, his house and he had done this thing where he had taken an iPhone and effectively QR codes and he built a system he called Atlas. And that allowed me to walk around the, the Tuscan setting, physically mm. walk around while I was in his living room, um, with just the iPhone, which was strapped to a GoPro harness was picking up his Persian rug and a couple of QR codes, which was on his floor. And that was translating my motion in his living room into my motion in the virtual world, even my height. So there was a little goblin character in there. So I walked up to the goblin character and then I bent down to look closer to its face. Were you knocking into furniture in the real world? He was watching me. It's the same (laughs) thing. If you go to like the MX lab, someone watches you and make sure you don't run into anything. Right. So you can, you can only safely VR with a friend who's not blinded uh, when you're, when you're doing full body simulations. But Oculus, for instance, likes to, to emphasize that everything they're building is for sit down experiences. Sony, on the other hand, with their project with Morpheus, uh, which I have not had the pleasure of using yet because the lines are always really long um, at all these events is, um, is using their motion tracking controllers, the the move uh, to create stand up experiences. So it's still not walk around your apartment experiences it's still not we're not at the point where this next summer instead of watching the world melt down we're all going to have uh sunglasses on our faces that let us think that we're in uh you know the world of warcraft (laughs) uh that will come one day probably uh but it won't be 2015 okay um what we will be able to do is is take a peek okay so it's so this is coming, but it sounds like there's definitely some kinks that need to be worked out, some hurdles that need to be overcome. Oh yeah. Um and uh people, you know, so right now it's like the early the early adopters are in on it. Mm-hmm. People are and and uh you know, people who are coming at it from a more, you know, they're doing what you would expect they're doing would do with it, you know, like lightsaber simulators, that type of thing. And then artists are getting their hands on it and just doing crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um but it's still you know, it's still got this very like garage hobbyist type feel to it. Oh yeah. Um, but, but so, so I wanted to ask you, what are the big, you know, so what, what hurdles do we need to cross before this becomes uh, a consumer device? One of the big hurdles I got crossed already was the, the financial backing, uh, someone with deep pockets coming along. And I mean, in just in the past few months, Facebook bought Oculus for two billion dollars. Right, 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 right. Which, which has caused some consternation. And people were upset about that. Oh, like the they got the Minecraft developer oh. said he wouldn't put Minecraft on the Oculus because of that. But yeah. I guess he's come back around now. He's he's talked him. He's he's calmed down a bit. I haven't I haven't seen where where, where Notch is on the subject right now. But I remember at the time he was he was quite upset and he was a big backer. Like he had gone in at, you know, several thousand dollars, maybe in the tens of thousands of dollars. And so he felt a sense of betrayal. Um, that gets into like the, the logics of, of crowdfunding. A lot of people felt like I didn't give you this money so that you could go and, you know, sell yourselves out. Right. And then of course everyone's afraid, Oh, it's just going to be Facebook. And then there's going to be privacy invasion issues. Right. 
uh, you know, like Facebook, people just consider Facebook the evil empire. So, well, and, and, you know, not, not always, uh, with, without good cause. Like there's a lot of things Facebook does. They're just boneheaded. And, uh, you know, they, they already like to put blinders on us uh, in the news feed. And so once we're, right. we're literally wearing blinders on us. Yeah, I, I saw just today that, the, that last week the ice bucket challenge was eight times more likely to pop up in the news feed than Ferguson News. Yeah. It's a little disturbing. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if anyone uh, who's on Facebook today as their main news source knows uh, that, that, you know, Russia's hanging around in the Ukraine. Probably not. <laughs> uh, but then other people do. But but that's the problem. The The, the bigger problem there is just that you know, they control the levers and they don't tell people what they're doing and right. no one knows what anyone's seeing, right? Which is why I don't hang out on Facebook anymore. Right. Well, I think that that touches on an interesting topic, not to get too off off, off course mm-hmm. here, but, um, you know, I, I see, you know, talking about hurdles, maybe not from the technological hurdle standpoint, but from the social adoption standpoint, yeah. I can see that the number one criticism people are going to have of this is, for the love of God, people are already glued to their screens enough. They're already essentially living in virtual worlds. Like, why do we want to make it that much more immersive? You know, people are going to have this dystopian view that, you know, everyone's just kind of going to be huddled in the corner of their apartment or their living space with this thing strapped to their face. And everyone is going to check out of the real world even more checked out than they already are through Facebook and and uh, in tunnel realities. And Facebook already essentially puts people in, like you say, it puts blinders on people, puts them in tunnel realities. How much more um, accentuated is that going to be when you actually have blinders strapped to your face, as it were? Well, let's, let's, let's look at it straight on, which is the beautiful thing about the VR when it works is that there's kind of a ritual to going in you pick up the device you you don the device um you know that you are crossing a threshold you're you you are conscious of it when we cross the threshold into virtual space right now we throw open our laptop we pull our phone out the ambient information of the real world is still there but we tune it out and we kind of become zombies right it's like if we're a zombie when we have an iphone in our hand and we're looking at the little tiny persiniums in our palms this is much more active this is instead of being a zombie you're the lick no um <laughs> i don't know why i came with i'm reading too much tnd um <laughs> I don't I don't have the the metaphor for like you know who you are when you when you don the rift as opposed to just being like an iPhone zombie or an Android zombie. So but basically what you're saying is that there will be a clear that people will have a because of this ritual there will be a clear distinction between real space and virtual space. That people will have a clearer sense of a threshold. Yeah, I mean you you can't help but you fall into it more and it's but it's more like it's more like when you fall into a novel than when you read the internet, right? Like it's the difference between going to IMAX with a not shitty crowd <laughs> and and sitting at home and watching television where you always know there's just a, a flick away. It's if Facebook is distraction wear, What's the latest thing? What's the latest thing? What's the latest thing? 
virtual reality is concentration where okay you're there i mean yeah they're gonna be able to like you know try and cram it full of like notifications and this that the other thing but what's but what's special about it is you're able to focus on what it is you're doing and looking at in a way we're not allowed to in meet space anymore interesting interesting so it you you think that it almost creates a uh um a sacredness of experience which i can also see the the anonymity the fact that you know the virtual reality um you know allows you to experience things essentially without social consequence um and that you're in an anonymous space um so you think that that separates it from the real world in a in almost a uh, a sacred way and and right now i mean right now it's not things aren't connected right i mean they're starting to figure out ways to connect the experiences but right now there is something sort of beautiful about you know i'm flying um i'm using a meditation you know simulator like i'm you know it it becomes this almost monastic thing of like you know like i am here in this world um it is mine to explore it's it's not being encroached upon by I can't see my phone, right? So it's, it's a vacation it's, from it's your pri- phone. It's private space. Yeah, it's private space. Ironically, it's a vacation from other electronics and a more private electronic space. Exactly. And and that's <laughs> I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why that people do get worried once when Facebook bought it. Right. They're worried that that's gonna get taken away. It's interesting that you're saying all this because all the people I've heard talking about this have almost religious tones mm-hmm. uh, or they talk about it like a, a psychedelic experience or, or, you know, they get, they get deep about it, which yeah. was surprising to me. And I haven't used one yet. So maybe I'm just not, not a convert yet. I mean, I, in, in Austin last year, I, I didn't play the, the VR version until this year, but there's a kid in Austin named Robin or not. Uh, hey Robin, if, if I get you to listen to this um, and Robin, uh, he's a, he's a indie game developer. He's a sound guy. Um, so he works on a lot of indie game sound stuff, but he created a, um, programming called sound self and it is a meditative tone feedback loop thing where you're like looking down this tunnel and, and it's sort of like Winamp meets the singularity, you know, so you make the tones and the visuals change based on the tones you're making and the ideas create like a positive feedback loop and et cetera, et cetera. And he adapted it to the Oculus. So the goal was to create a digital experience using the tools, but not the framework of a game in order to get your mind into a meditative state. And there's more people playing in that space. And there's more people looking to create these kinds of experiences out there. And, there's there's all kinds of possibilities with the rift to put aside the tools of distraction and immerse yourself in an experience well it seems like you'd be putting aside not just the 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 tools of distraction but really your identity you know you, you're uh, you're allowed to step out of yourself you could which you know people try to have been trying to do throughout history through every every uh, uh conceivable means you know from traditional exper- spiritual experiences to meditation to drugs to you know extreme sports i mean the one thing that i get 
most excited about in terms of the potential for virtual reality is taking someone and as close to literally as we can get putting them in someone else's shoes. Right. And, that's, that's fascinating yeah. to me. And letting them see the world from their point of view, their actual point of view. So I think of things like, I wish I could take, I wish I could take the video game trolls who are, you know, assaulting feminists online and stick them in an Oculus and walk them down a street getting catcalls and rape threats right? and let them know what it's like to have that. And granted, it is not going to be the same thing. It is a simulation and not the reality. It will not create the baggage, but you hope that there's, some kind of empathy circuit right. that gets a fired of recognition. off. Right. Um, you know, it definitely wouldn't work for everybody. Some people just don't have the empathy circuits to make it work. But I think that, I think the majority of people have, who might be on the fence about such things, and might like find this, well, I'm not so certain about this. And like, let's be reasonable. If you give them an experience where they're seeing something from someone's point of view, they will go, oh, right. I get it now. And really, those that's are the people the, we're talking to. That's the mission, you know, that's been the mission of art, you know, every type of art form is to try oh, yeah. and experience life through somebody else's shoes and for, and journalism, you know, and for, mm -hmm. for me, uh, that is, is, I think this, th that effect alone that you've just described. I think will completely revolutionize everything, how we see reality. I mean, I, you know, I've been thinking about this late at night and it freaks me out because I don't know it's, it's uh, in a good way. Right. Um, but um, it's mind boggling to think how quickly that's going to mutate people's well, consciousnesses. Well, he, I mean, here's the thing about it, right? Is like, cause people say like, Oh, well, but like, you know, a, a book can be immersive and a film could be immersive. And, and I, and I don't disagree that the emotional effect Right. That that the mirror neurons do fire off. We know that when people watch something, you know, they they see, you know, a person do something, the same part of the brain fires off, which is great that we know that that's actually happening. Right. That like empathy is a physical thing that occurs. I what, wonder if they'll be able to just, uh, to, you know, it, it just well, occurred give, to me. Give, give me one, one, give okay, me one okay, on this okay. one, because the critical thing is this. What you don't get to do in a novel, what you don't get to do in a film is you don't get to turn your head. Okay. That experience I have of turning around looking behind me, right? That little bit of agency that's given to the observer in VR. That's the thing that kicks things up to the proverbial next level, huh. okay. right? Okay. It's just that simple of, and then I looked over there and that world was carrying on. I couldn't. I could look away, but I was still there. Right. Right. I'm still there even when I look away. And I've seen some brilliant stuff like take advantage of that. Right. Like some designs that like, you know, take advantage of the fact that you turned away and then like pop something up on side. Like there's okay. brilliant stuff you can do there that those are, those are like storytelling effects. But the big thing is you turn away and you're still in that world and then you get to choose. It's your choice where to look. It's your choice. How much, how deeply to look into something. Huh. And that's something that you, you just, 
we, we get it kind of now and that like, oh, I can click for more information. And if I'm really interested in something, I can like dig deeper that way. But that's not as visceral of an experience as I walked over there to see what was happening. Right. And I've, I've seen, um, uh, I guess they're working on immersive journalism with this, where they were talking about putting people in the shoes of Syrian uh, uh, war refugees. Oh, I've done that one. You've done that one? Yeah. How was that? That seems like that that must have been quite an experience, right? That seems like a perfect case of how does this stuff actually, you know, that, did that actually increase your sense of empathy? Was it overwhelming? Was it, that what was one, it? That one, um, I can't remember the name of that one. That uh, that's one of Nani De La Pena's works. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the name of it. The that one I felt had some of the most refined storytelling because um, that was a two parter. And the first part of it, you're standing uh, on a street. I think it's in Aleppo, and then all of a sudden a, a car bomb goes off, and the the it's filled with smoke and you can't see so well anymore and where there were people before now there's, there's nothing. And then it resolves itself into a refugee camp and the figures in the refugee camp are, you know, rather stylized representations of people. But what was fascinating about that one was I turned my head at one point to like, look at some kids playing and then when I turned back, all of a sudden there was like 10 more tents than there were before. The refugee camp was appearing around me. There was a voiceover going, explaining, narrating the situation. So there was still a little bit of distance. And this was something that wouldn't happen in reality. Tents wouldn't just pop up. But it was rather poetic in that I got the sense of of how deep and broad the problem was for people because of that visual representation. Uh, Because as I continue to turn my head around and in that case, turn my body around, because that's an embodied VR experience you have in the lab. um, I I saw more, more people kept on fading in Uh, and it wasn't real, but it was incredibly evocative. Uh, Wow. Yeah. So, um, Man, okay, so so obviously the potential for this, we're only scraping the, the surface. Um, they need to work out some of the kinks. One of the biggest ones, and this is actually a phrase you coined, is sim sickness, right? Oh, I, didn't, is, I didn't coin it. Oh, you That's, didn't coin yeah, it? No, okay. no, 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 that, 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 that phrase has been around for oh, a while. Oh, I'm going to have to change that on the blog then. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you, you have... Re- <laughs> I you've told re- you I didn't coin it. You've re- uh, <laughs> I must have heard that as uh, uh, you didn't coin it. Anyways, yeah. okay, I so... I think you said to me, like, oh, like oh, that's yours, right? I was like, no, 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 no. And Okay, then, yeah. but you, you've reported on it yes. quite a bit. And that's just that this, you know, VR... Not just the Oculus, but other models makes people car sick. Essentially, it gives people motion sickness, and they're not quite sure why. This this is a fascinating bit of territory, and I started digging into it. I started digging into it because Dana Boyd, the Microsoft researcher, uh, put up on the site Quartz uh, a few months ago a piece entitled "Is the Oculus Sexist?" Dana did some. Um, undergraduate work um, using the cave system way back in the day, which was a virtual environment that you like walked into. It wasn't goggles Uh, and she would get sick while using it. Um, And she 
Hold on, we'll take a pause. Uh, we're at like 40 minutes, 17 seconds. Um, Dana had done some undergraduate work using the CAVE system, which was a virtual environment, C-A-V-E, virtual environment, uh, that she, you know, you walked into that one. She would get sick uh, while using it. And, and sick, like how sick are we talking like, about like, and in what way? I I took it that she might have been puking. I definitely took it that she was dizzy. Uh, that was absolute for certain. Um, the thing about, here's a we, the really weird thing you'll find out is that we don't know a lot about motion sickness or why it works. Mm. And and that's all motion sickness, not just in virtual reality. All motion sickness, wow. and that's okay. and that's one of the reasons why this is really problematic. I thought it had yeah. something to do with uh, the inner ear or how the ear tracks. Yeah, we're not entirely certain if that's all there is. Wow. Okay. Right. Like that's the thing. Like we, you think nope. Turns out no. Um, Dana had this thing. Dana, I'm maybe saying it wrong. Um, sorry. Uh, she had this thing. as one that I read it, don't hear it. Um, she she started thinking that there might be a, a difference in the way that men and women perceive depth mm. uh, because the eye uses both parallax motion. Right, like this object is moving faster than that object, so this object must be closer than that object. Um, as one way of tracking depth, it also uses something called shape form shading, which is the way in which uh, shadows change when you move an object relative to a light source. Right. Okay. okay. It is a lot easier to create parallax in a virtual system than it is to do the shape form shading because lighting in virtual scenarios is hard hmm. video games some of the great improvements in video games in the past 10 years have been the, the lighting systems have gotten better hmm. right okay. um so you shortcut you're trying to do things with the lowest computational load that you can so you shortcut so you rely on parallax well so so she thought that you know this might be a thing and, and that there there might also be even people who were transitioning from from uh, male to female were having more sickness. So wondering about this because she put the question out there and like no one responded. Right. And this tends to be a thing. You'll see that there's a lot of enthusiasts, the Reddit enthusiasts, the VRLA guys, you put the question to them of like, you know, well, what's, what's up with motion sickness? And they're like, oh, they'll get it figured out. It's not gonna be a big deal. Right. Like this right, is, right, this right. I solved. actually posed that question to Reddit the other day and and what people said to me was, or what one specific Redditor who asked not to be identified, who's a developer, said to me is, um, yeah, it's really not a big deal. They have, they're working on ways to figure it out. They're not sweeping it under the carpet. And uh, he was convinced that they would have it figured out uh, by 2015, by, by the time this got into the hands of consumers. Yeah. And, and so you think that he, that's just over-enthusiasm? Maker knows, I hope that they get a model that's good enough. And what's happened with using the head tracking setups they have now with getting the latency of the devices, latency meaning that when you turn your head, the, the visual system updates at the same speed with which you turn your head so that you don't have a disconnect between where your head is and what you should be looking at, right? You got to get that latency down. The head tracking helps with the whole thing where if you lean forward, the world moves accordingly as well. Like that problem I had in the cockpit initially, like I tried to lean into close to the cockpit and the cockpit just moved away from me, right? All these things can contribute to the problem. They're not the only things that contribute to the problem. The big thing that contributes to the problem is the disconnect between your physical system, what's called the vestibular, 
the actual motion detection that your body does. Okay. I'm moving. Like, move a little right now. You can feel your body move. Move a little in VR. You can't feel your body move. Hmm. Your body knows that it's not moving. Hmm. I decided to talk to the doctor who did the study that, or one of the authors of the study that Oculus likes to quote in its own fact about best practices, Dr. K. Stanny. Um, great interviewee. It'd be patronizing to say really smart. It's like, hello. Um, and I, I just asked her, straight up like how worried she was about this and and if she thought that they had things really nailed it mind you she's been researching this for a very long time like she literally wrote the academic articles that Mm. that you know talk about this stuff and i said like well are you worried about people puking and she was like i'm not worried about people puking that's you can sell that on the you know the tin that's like a roller coaster right (laughs) it's like all you know this ride is so intense you will vomit right let me play right now vomit when they take psychedelics exactly right kind of thing totally the same kind of thing um what she's worried about is that disconnect between the vestibular system and the visual system right so i you know i wanted to find out about this whole thing of like was oculus sexist was there a major difference Mm. between men and women okay and she says dr stanley says no she says that if there was that much of a difference, we wouldn't see adaption. Meaning, what, what does that mean? Meaning mm-hmm. that the longer someone acquaints themselves with VR, I'm not saying like jump in and spend five hours the first time you use an Oculus Rift. I'm saying it's going to take a few weeks. The more times you go into the Rift, the more your body gets used to it. It is akin to what happens with deep sea divers. The more they dive, the better they are at adapting and readapting from the dive. So you go in on the dive, the way you move changes, the way your system works under the water changes. You go into VR, the way your system works in VR changes. You come out, you have to readapt to normal reality. You come out of the sea, you got to get your your land legs Okay. right? So you just need to get used to VR. You got to get used to VR. Well, it's interesting that you say this because... And we see that happening with women as well as with men. Right. And so that's why Dr. Stanny says that... But no. there, but is because it's as you say this. I mean, we got Google Cardboard into the office yesterday, mm-hmm. and uh, you know everyone was demoing it, and uh, the women who used it got sick, mm-hmm. and the men did not. And and there was another factor, which is the women were standing up when they were using it and walking around, mm-hmm. which probably played a big role. But when I say sick, I mean like one woman used it for used a roller coaster app for. Um, 30 seconds and felt very sick and disoriented for almost five minutes afterwards. Couple of things there. One, Dr. Stanny thinks that it's that men, particularly young men tend to be more familiar with the kind of vection motion that you get in say first person shooter games, right? A lot of motion in those you get, you know, a lot of fast moving images and sort of orient yourself to that. There are some people who get sick playing first person shooter games, all that vection happening. Um, so she thinks that young men have a bit of a leg up and that they do more of that. They may still get sick, but well, not one, to the same One of the women who was playing as well as a hardcore gamer, I don't know if she plays first person shooters or not, but... Um... You know, was it'd definitely be, used to, to yeah. virtual, you know, virtual it, it, worlds in computer games. It'd be fascinating. No, the other thing is, the other thing is this, right? 
um, the roller coaster simulations, right? It's designed to make you, he's designed to go fast. I watch everybody who, who like uses that thing. Like they get some postural sway going on. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. As they're using it. Right. Okay. Um, I mean, it's funny quote unquote to watch people do that, but like really their body is struggling with trying to keep up. Um, so that one's almost like designed to like break you. Um, <laughs> and, and on top of it, when you're dealing with, you know, a crappy VR experience, all the latency, all the lag issues, all of, all of the depth from the eye issues. If there's, you know, this stuff has to be done right or you do make people sick. You go back five years worth of VR stuff in the lab and people would get sick really quickly because of how crappy all the lag stuff was. They're just like, oh, I can't do it. And that's one of the things that I get upset about Google Cardboard being out there because if you're predisposed, also there's some people predisposed some people are more predisposed to motion sickness than others. That does tend to be women. There's still, there's still an odd chance. Like Dr. Stanny says that, you know, there, there isn't the difference. There's still the odd chance that maybe there is something happening with the way the genders decode visual information. I'm not entirely certain why that would be. Boyd says, you know, you know, she saw it happening with people who were taking hormones to go from male to female. So maybe it's oh, something about wow. the way hormones affect the eyes okay, or the way, just the way it's prioritized. And at the end of the day, when we're dealing with reality, reality, it doesn't matter whether you're getting parallax or you, no, that's not what I'm trying to say, <laughs> but it doesn't matter whether you're in parallax or shape form shading. No, you get them both all the time consistently. It's not like God shuts off shape form shading because he knows you're a guy and can handle parallax in reality. Okay. It's just there. So huh. there's no way of naturally testing and just like, oh yeah, you, you don't okay. get it. It's like, it, like it, it, there, the same amount of data is there for everybody. So and no, it's nobody knows. Nobody knows. No one even knows why people get motion sick. So what happens if, uh, what happens if they can't figure this out by 2015 and they're, re- they're all ready to go with the tech to have their big, uh, the big, you know, consumer VR revolution and everyone, it makes everyone sick. What then? There's, Does there's, anyone have an answer for that? There's a, there's a, there's the thing that Dr. Stanny worries about is not that everyone's going to puke. Like I was saying, like if everyone pukes, whatever fun. Yay. I puked. She's worried about people not readapting. And so they'll do a long, because what they'll see is they'll see postural sway. What that means is like, you know, imagine when you see someone stumble out of a bar, like literally stumble out of a bar and like they can't seem to stand up straight. If you've ever had a roommate who is like a heavy lush and you had to like, you know, navigate them into your house, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's postural sway. They will observe this happening to people who spend long stretches in VR who have not learned how to adapt yet. So the scenario goes like this bunch of folks get the vr headsets early adopters they jump right into call of duty vr right it's like yeah bro i was in it for five (laughs) hours and then i hopped into my car and then i ran my car into a tree that's the fear okay you get one of those incidents and it's a house of cards right so it's like it's it is like drugs yeah so 
that's 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 a that's a grand worry. And indeed, it's it's a worry that that I think like the developer you talk to is like they're aware of. Um, the belief is that if you can lower the lag and if you get the head positioning tracking, that that's going to deal with a lot of it. And then the other side is if you make sure that people, this is the big thing really, if you make sure that people don't jump in and do five hours or even an hour of something like Call of Duty without taking a break. It's like the Wii where it's like, if you feel dizzy, take a break, right? The experiences need to be short. They need to be something where you're going to want to like take off the thing, you know, your mask. It might even keep you from, um, actually the bigger thing is like like Dr. Sane said, there are sensors in this thing. So you can have in the mask, you have the sensors and and when it starts to see that there's some serious sway going on, right? Like, oh, the person's, it can just say like, you need to take a break. You're starting to experience sway. You're past the limit for what you can do. Please shut it down or even emergency stop. Wow. Man, well, when you combine the 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 sway that you're talking about, or the dizziness uh, and the, the physical danger that may come from people using this, with the you know the the obvious addictive potential of being in virtual worlds, I mean, I can already hear the Fox News report on this forming yeah. in my head as you know this is the new the new drugs, this is the new digital drug, yeah, uh, and, and people are going to freak out about it. And anyone who is like a redditor or or anyone who takes like the article of faith that they'll get it fixed. You do not think that in the least I'm being needlessly alarmist here. When the VR researcher who Oculus points to in their own fact says this is what she's concerned about. I take that really seriously. Wow. And I don't do that because I want some sensationalist alarmist headlines like I want people to have the experiences of popping into other people's shoes. Mm. I want to get into an X-Wing cockpit and fly off, you know, to Tatooine like yesterday. Like, like I, I almost need this VR revolution to happen. And that it will get stopped stone cold. If the motion sickness bug is not handled. So so you think that, that, that is what would happen. It would kill it completely. If you have one car accident, yeah. Wow. Wow. Maybe not one. Tesla got lucky. They had a couple of car fires and they didn't get imploded entirely. But for a hot minute there, Wall Street started to drop them like a rock. And these are these are publicly held companies. This is Facebook. This is Sony. Right. And all it takes is a wave of really negative press. It might be enough to have the head tracking be dead on and the lag be non-existent. But you're still not going to have the vestibular information. And we still just don't know enough about motion sickness as a physiological phenomenon to know that that is definitely going to be enough it may just come down to be that there's a segment of the population who will never be able to use VR Hmm. for that long or comfortably. And so then the whole everybody's in VR version of the future doesn't get to happen because kind of like colorblind, some people are just sort of VR blind. 
Right. Huh. So basically, the official party line from Oculus VR is, uh, you know, they're shipping the developer kits now. Um, they're, you know, aiming for 2015 to roll it out to the for consumers, um, you know, with some sickness and things like that. It sounds like there may be some some hurdles, but what do you see as being the the timeline? What are like the big events that are coming up? The major things are are, I mean, the consumer release is massive. Um, if it will be, we're in this environment now where there's tends to be like mass adoption of like new gadgets when they come out. Um, I'll be curious to see if that happens again with VR because it's such a different kind of experience. Uh, it's got the potential of being as big of a change as the PC was, but not everyone bought a PC when it first came out. Part not, of, not at first. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, not because you, you, you couldn't even afford one back then, right. but also it was, it was relatively specialized in right. terms of like what you could do with it and who do was going to be interested. Do in you it. think something like a similar, like a 10, 15, 20 year adoption curve is what we might be looking at? I mean, it'll be faster than that just because of the way, I mean, if you just look at how many people have bought a PS4, 10 million people have bought a PS4 that's worldwide. But in the first, you know, nine months of its release, that's way faster than the other console is gone. So we're kind of in this era where people got to have the new hot new thing. Right. And Sony is releasing their own, their own VR for the PS4. And Sony's got project Morpheus, which they're working on, which I would imagine here's, here's, here's my best guess. This is complete speculation on my part. Okay. Oculus needs to get out first. Needs to has to provided that they're not seeing massive problems with motion sickness that they've got it pretty well locked down not it's not gonna be fully locked down but pretty well locked down late spring which seems like a weird time since you normally want to go for you know holiday season et cetera, et cetera. They've got to break the rules. They've got to beat Sony to market. I think Sony could go, given how well they're dominating the console market, they could not do next Christmas season, holiday 2015, as being when they brought out Morpheus. But... If they know or if they suspect that Oculus, backed by Facebook, is going to enter in a major way the consumer electronics business, which is Sony's business. Facebook, which has not had a successful consumer electronics par product yet. Those engineers are working overtime to get something ready as fast as they need to maintain dominance with the core gamers who they have won. They've sold 10 million PS4s. Thing about an Oculus is this. You got to run it off a piece of hardware still. It's not a sealed system, at least not yet. Maybe it will be. Maybe the consumer version is going to be the sealed system and then God help anyone who goes up against it, right? Right now, you plug that into a laptop Carmack is working so that you can 
run it off a phone. But it takes a fair amount of computational power to make this stuff work. Now, the phones are going to be amazing next year. But the dream, of course, is to have something really small that you can just like have on you and not have to plug it in. But I think that V1, Consumer Model 1, could technically be a PC peripheral out in the spring before E3 when things are traditionally announced by the video game industry for the fall. Ah, okay. Steal up that thunder that way. Get it out around GDC. Um, get a few games, some which have already been released, like out into the world. Get the people who are working on virtual reality films. Get that stuff being released. I'll say this much. There was a virtual reality LA meeting um, a weekend ago, two weeks ago. Time, August, evil month, blurs. Um, and at that meeting the folks who were at from jaunt vr jaunt make this camera for capturing live action into vr that's a whole right. other thing and that's 360 degrees right which three, boggles my three, mind 360 and and a fair amount of spherical effect too like that's that's a that's a whole other podcast um those guys were being very coy saying this short film's coming out in this fall because we think it's gonna, there's going to be something that everyone can watch it on. Now, in my mind, I was like, oh, good God, are we going to get like an Apple-like announcement from Facebook of like, surprise, we've got the consumer version of the Oculus this Christmas. Right. I don't think so because uh, I just feel like something would have leaked by now. Well, I've also seen things online about doing 360-degree um, theaters. Yeah, there there might there there could be something or it could just be like, you know, Samsung's got their Gear VR that they're doing uh which, you know, legend has it that there's Oculus code in that device. Some of that has to do with the fact that, you know, if you tear down an Oculus DK2, you find a Samsung screen. Samsung makes screens for everybody, so I don't know if it's worth it to read too much into that, but it wouldn't be entirely impractical to have that kind of relationship. The major reason why Oculus needed to partner with someone was so that they could stop using off the shelf, you know, right. Phone screens and start getting some custom screens made. And if you want custom screens made, there's only a couple of companies you turn to one of which is Sony, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which that ain't happening. The other, which is Samsung and Samsung will work with anybody. So, um, so who knows? Um, so it all goes down next year and it's just a question of, of you, you think it's just a question of who gets to market first. Essentially. I think it's a major question of who gets to market first. Okay. And because the truth is, is that, you know, Oculus had the hearts and minds of gamers and computer enthusiasts before they were bought by Facebook and some people got super turned off by that and, you know, really won't trust it again. Sony has a massive install base of console gamers. And while the Morpheus may not be able to be as great of an experience as the Oculus will be, if it's something you just plug into the thing you already own, the PS4, and it costs a reasonable amount of money, maybe even a little bit less than the Oculus, and you don't need a $1,000 PC to play it, and there are 10 
million people on the planet who already have a PS4 and it plays a lot of the same games. Why do you not buy Morpheus? Right, right, right. right, right. Like it already works with the thing you have. You already have friends in a social network and blah, 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 right? So that's the challenge. But if Oculus gets out first, those early adopters are like, oh, I got to have it now because that's what it becomes. And it it builds builds steam that way. I have to have it now, 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 now. So on the now, now, now front, um, we're kind of in the uh, we're in the pregame period. It's still mm-hmm. 2014. Mm-hmm. This hasn't caught on into mass awareness quite yet. Right. Uh, how do people get involved with uh, you know trying to get ahead of the curve on Oculus before the big show starts? Well, on Oculus or VR in general, right? Um, and then just comes back to like on Oculus uh, is how you essentially do it. Look, you could you could get Google Cardboard, but That'll amuse you for how long did you guys have fun with right. it? Right, and Google Cardboard is is the uh, the card like the it's just like basically like a cardboard view master that you stick your iPhone into and you get a little preview of of uh, virtual reality. There are hardly any apps for it. Um, it's not super impressive right now, not because of the actual cardboard part, but simply just because nobody's really developed anything for it yet. And I'm not sure there's going to be a huge rush for it either. No, it's I don't... definitely worth doing. It's definitely novel, but that's all it is right now is yeah. novelty. I mean, I have a mind to like order one just to like take a look at it. Oh, you should definitely order one. It's yeah. 20 bucks. You yeah. Know, you can't go wrong with that. Um, I could have a good meal and a beer for $20. So. <laughs> um, Why would know. you do that when you could have it in virtual reality? <laughs> they have that up. Well, then maybe you kill zombies at least. Um, where can't you kill zombies? Um, look, if if you really are jonesing, if you're jonesing and you have three hundred bucks, give or take, to spare, you just order three fifty. Three fifty now. Three fifty yeah. plus shipping. You you order a development kit too, and you then download demos, and the demos will blow your mind and. You get your jollies by getting your friends to come over and watching them use it. And watching each other puke and then stumble around the house. Probably not and so much. And crash into things well, when you drive away. Well, no. <laughs> actually, actually, to, to go serious on that on that tip, um, getting used to using VR, taking turns, adapting yourselves so that when the consumer version comes out, you've done some of the heavy lifting already. Okay. You're used to virtual reality. Okay. And I mean, that's, that, that's the other way to like, look at that issue is that there's a little bit, particularly for those of us who are the earlier to up their mindset, it's caveat emptor, like, you know, get, you know, take right. it slow. Get, meaning, meaning buyer beware. Yeah. Yeah. Take it slow, get used to it. Take advantage of the fact that you can get used to it. You'll be able to push yourself a little farther than than other people will when the consumer stuff comes out, but you know, just just be cognizant that that's you know an issue because you know you pull it off, and some people have to go and lie down, and other people pull it off, and they think they're fine. The problem is people who think they're fine because you didn't notice that you got out of whack. Um, I sound like someone's mother at this point, but like honestly, I just don't want you idiots to ruin it for the rest of us. Um, which is how I feel about it. Um, right, and from from a, a speculator standpoint, I mean, for, from a developer standpoint, or for a, from a business standpoint, it seems like now is the time to start developing things, or at least getting used to oh, God, yeah. uh, developing on Unity or Unreal, 
which seem to be the, the primary engines yeah. that people are using to build VR apps on. Yeah. Uh, it seems like now's the time to get out ahead of the game and, and start it, working on apps or, or really whatever, right? It's Well, it's never too late to start. Now's a really good time to start. <laughs> and <laughs> Is this going to be the VR gold rush? And, oh, the app gold rush is over. Right. So where else are you going to go and code? And the thing is, is that, you know, this isn't just about games. It It's probably not too much about productivity. I'm not entirely sure how it would be about productivity. I don't have the imagination for that kind of stuff. <laughs> like my brain does not run towards, mm, I'm going to make the best spreadsheet in the world out of right. VR. Like, like don't ask me. I don't care. Um, oh, that'd be great. Walking around your <laughs> spreadsheet in real time. I just raised and lowered the pie chart <laughs> uh, with my hands. Yeah, this will be great in a corporate setting. Yeah. Um, no, no, my flashbacks to certain comics. But uh, you, you want to, you know, there's, there's going to be, there's VR film that's happening. There's other kinds of immersive experiences that are happening. There's questions of how to do storytelling in this. There's all these interesting questions that haven't been solved. There was a, you know, bit of conventional wisdom for most of this year was the idea that, you know, the, the straight cut in film wouldn't work in VR. Hmm. The guys at New Deal Studios who've worked with Jaunt, they say cuts work just fine. Now, I'm holding out to believe it when I see it, but they say it'll work. The prevailing wisdom was that that kind of discontinuity of visual information would be too disorienting. Right. And one thing you said to me the other day when we talked about this, when you were first getting me up to speed, is that the major film studios are awake, as you put it. That was your your word, and are uh, you know pushing to get into who who can get into VR. Look, unless people who are, well, that'd be a silly thing to say. Unless people are publishing blogs or lying, because of course they are. But this the shipboard scuttlebutt that I've heard and that I trust is that there are people at the studios who are actively working on this stuff. A Why lot, wouldn't you? A lot of it is related to the marketing of films because they make movies and they want to figure out new ways to sell movies. But even then there's a chance for this stuff to grow. If you went to Comic-Con this year, there was a VR experience for Sleepy Hollow. There was a VR experience for X-Men Days of Future Past. Those are both at a particular studio on the west side of town. If you can figure out who it is, then you know somebody who's really interested in this. Ox. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to build, you know, the next World of Warcraft over on, you know, the 20th century lot. But... It means that they're they 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 know it's uh right 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 and I would guess that that's not the only industry you know that that many 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 you know not just entertainment industries but uh, health you know education uh, are are uh, figuring out how to position themselves. Yeah, I mean, it, we're going to see the usual thing happen: games, and then video, and then porn. Will lead the way in that order. <laughs> this time in that order, I think. Um, for a host of reasons, uh, mostly because like, ah, yeah, porn's a whole nother topic. But like, there's Uncanny Valley, <laughs> and then there's Uncanny Valley, okay. right? Like, I think some things might not be better in virtual reality, right? Um. But but literally, but it seems to me that literally every industry uh, that deals with any type of you know visual media, yeah, would be rushing into this. If if you've got if visual media is part of what you do, 
then figuring out what the tools are, how to make the material, what stuff you can already adapt, where your deficiencies are. I mean, the thing I'm most fascinated with is for actors in virtual reality, in, in, you know, live action VR films, or even who are doing motion capture work, like how does their craft change? Right. You know, like there's, there's, I've seen things where I was like, that is some crappy acting in VR. It's like watching someone on a CD-ROM circa 1996. Right. I was going to say that reminds me of when people first started doing uh, acting in video games. It was, it was God awful. Wing Commander again. Yeah. Wing Commander was good compared to some stuff, right? (laughs) At least he had real actors in that thing. Um, Yeah. There's some, there's some God awful acting uh, and it really reads poorly in this world because the goal is to convince you that it's real. Mm. And if someone is acting in a way that doesn't feel authentic in this setup, you're done. Wow. The illusion is shattered. Your illusion will be shattered and you'll be throwing up at the same time. Yeah, it'll be wonderful. Excellent. Well, it's been excellent to talk to you. Um, uh, people can follow you at uh, Noah J. Nelson on Twitter. That's right. And you can follow this blog at Urift on twitter come scream at me about how wrong i am about the motion sickness please do i'm looking <laughs> I'm, forward to it yeah i'm also looking forward to uh if people get get irate about anything in this that should be fun um so uh until next time that was great all right <laughs>